Well, if you've been around for the last few years, you, you know what we're attempting to do here with Draw Near, but if you're new, um, you probably just caught a glimpse of it as you came in here before. Um, so here we are, a kind of a relatively newly planted church, and you plant new churches to try and grow the gospel. That's what you want to do. So we do want to grow. We do want people to come and hear about Jesus and join his church. We want to, grow, we want to see more people come to meet him and know him. So we want to grow in that sense, but we also want to grow in this sense, yeah? See what I'm doing with my hand? We want to grow deeper in our faith. We want to go stronger. We want to learn how to delight in and enjoy being with Jesus. Um, Many of you are actually great at serving Jesus, and many of you have learned how to do that incredibly over the years and are developing now, and there's a lot that we can do for Jesus, but wouldn't it be wonderful that, wouldn't wouldn't it be good if so much of what we did for him came from our ability to be with him, yeah? Because it can be exhausting to serve and keep giving yourself in love to others and holding out the gospel and you can get to the end of yourself. But wouldn't it be good if there was a, a private life that was just as strong as your public life? Yeah? And so that's kind of what we're toying with in this season. There's, we do talk a lot about our public life together, our love for each other, our holding out the gospel, all that we try and do to honour God with our lives. But then there's this part of you that no one sees... That's your private life, you could call it, or your backstage life. You know, I was thinking about actors recently. You know, you watch shows and they often show you what happens behind the scenes and then a person or an actor steps out in front of the curtain and begins to perform and there's often a really different person performing in public than who they were backstage. Um, I love a good stand-up comedian. Uh, It's hard to find stand-up comedians that are not incredibly crass, but when you can find one, I love a good laugh. Someone directed me towards, who was it, Nate Bar Gatsby or something recently? He's all right. Who told me about him? You can watch him with your kids. Um, Anyway, what what they've been doing lately with the Netflix specials um, for stand-up comedians is they they kind of start way in the back, like back in their homes, and then they even follow them while they're driving to the gig, and then they walk with them backstage while they're having chats with people, and then they come out on stage. And I've I've wondered why um, that's been happening a lot. A lot of the Netflix specials, they follow them from the behind the scenes to the front stage. And I wonder whether it's just because we're all pretty intrigued as to what people are really like behind the curtain. You know, we see our we see the public person. We see the performance, but we all wonder, what are they really like at home? What are they really like when no one's around? And I think it's that kind of intrigue that makes, you know, these kind of things feature. And and I want you to be intrigued um, about yourself in this process and be intrigued with each other. And I want us to kind of focus in on what you're like backstage, because it's, it's similar, like, in our lives. We've got our public lives where we, you know, we're out in the open and we're functioning or we're trying to function and we're working and we're meet, talking with our neighbours and we're living our lives and we're trying to love each other and care for each other and then you go home. Um, and, and for most of us, there's some level of difference between the public you and the private you. You know, sometimes for appropriate reasons there's a bit of a, a difference. But if there's a massive difference between who you project yourself to be and who you'd love other people to think of you as, and what you're really like behind the scenes, um, that's going to cause trouble for you. 
And even in your Christian life, if you're someone that really wants to serve Jesus and you're really doing a lot for others and you're serving and loving, but the backstage you is just kind of dry and withered away and there's not a lot of love and flow going on there. Jesus wants to bring to our attention what's going on in the backstage. He, he wants us to consider seriously what's going on behind the scenes. And I want you to take some time over these three weeks to think, yeah, what, what am I like at home? What am I like when I'm solo, when no one's around? What decisions do I make? What am I like with God when I'm on my own? I mean, I'm, you might be great at singing when we're together, and I tell you, it's so good to sing tonight. We're so blessed and um, I think spoiled, I think, often every week how we get to sing. But do you sing when you're on your own? In the sense that does your heart sing toward God when you're solo? Have you got a solo life? Some of you are raving introverts and you're like, I'm always trying to be on my own. You can't get enough time on your own. You know, you're just always trying to lock the door and keep everyone out of your life and you love nothing better than a good book and a bit of time on your own. Um, others of you are extroverts, in which case you're probably a bit scared about solo time. You'd prefer not to be on your own. Being on your own with your own thoughts is a little bit of a frightening concept. Um, I, I think I'm learning and still got a lot to learn about how to be on my own. For me to actually um, get some solo time, I actually do need to plan and actually program it into my daily routine to do it. Otherwise, I would just be with people, typically. Um, and so I've had to work really hard to try and get a private life, in a sense, something that's just me and God. And you might say, I don't want a private life. I hate being lonely. I don't want to be on my own because I hate being lonely. Here's the thing. If you are a Christian, meaning if you have repented and come to put your trust in Jesus and he has come to live by his spirit in you, then the truth is you are never actually alone. When you're solo, God is present. Whether you are aware of his presence whether you're good at tuning in and communing and connecting and appreciating and delighting in the one who's right there with you is another whole story. And actually, that's actually what we're trying to press into in this series. Are you developing your abilities to be with the one who is with you? If you're a Christian, you're actually never alone. God is there with you. And so I would go, I'll go out on a limb and say, probably most of us at this point will say, well, I do need to develop my ability just to be with God on my own. I mean, maybe you're an absolute expert at it. I doubt it. Probably not many of us lived in monasteries for years and years and developed practices that are just watertight in this kind of stuff. So we need to work. We need to develop to be able to be alone. I mean, we can't even go to the toilet these days without taking our phones with us. That is your one opportunity each day. That in the shower, probably. All right? To just have a thought and maybe turn that thought towards God if you can manage in that environment. But, you know, we, we're typically not great at it, so let's practice. Um, when, um, when, when we get here to chapter 6 in um, Matthew's Gospel, um, Jesus is giving us some instructions to develop our private life. It's, it's really clear. And in fact, it, we, we just picked up that section on prayer, but you might notice before it, there's giving to the needy, and after it, there's fasting, and these are three practices 
um, that Jesus is going to encourage you to do in secret. In other words, this is not for others to see and think you're wonderful because you do them. This whole section is Jesus encouraging you to get something that's just you and him and no one else needs to know about it. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. If you've got your Bibles open there, you, you turn back to the beginning of the chapter. Oh, we've got it on the screen too, I think, Manny. Is that right? Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So there's a little phrase there. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. Kind of a funny term. Because th- there's lots of practices as a Christian life that need to be public. But Jesus zones in on a couple of practices of the Christian life here that can be private. And if they can be private, make them private. And Jesus says, be careful not to do your practices of righteousness in front of others all the time. And he digs into giving. In other words, no one needs to know how much you give, um, but you are expected to give. Jesus anticipates. He says, when you give, this, this is part of being a Christian, when you give, don't do it in a flashy way. Don't tell anyone how much you give. No one needs to know. This is actually between you and God. Yep. But when you give, yeah, don't let anyone know what you're doing. He gets into prayer, and then he also gets into fasting, which is interesting. When you fast, it's almost assumed that you will fast, that that you will actually, for the sake of discipline, you know, pull back on what you can be enjoying for the sake of pursuing God. There's a whole range of things we can talk about fasting. We're going to dig into prayer here in this moment. And and he begins there in verse 5, speaking about um, how we need to have a private prayer life effectively. Um, yeah, good, said that. All right, sorry, I'm with you. All right, Let, let's have a little look there at um, beginning in verse 5. What you'll notice when Jesus teaches here, he's, he tells you how to pray, but he also tells you how not to pray, which is a helpful clarification, yeah? If you're trying to learn how to do something, sometimes it's helpful to hear, yeah, don't do it like this, do it like this. So Jesus does that twice in this passage. He says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. And he says, don't pray like the pagans. Instead, pray like this. So we'll just look at those two things today. And that's going to help us understand the kind of prayers that Jesus is calling us to develop. So look at verse 5 there. He says, um, when you pray, do not pray like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners To be seen by others, truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So who are these hypocrites that Jesus is telling us not to pray like? Well, believe it or not, they were kind of the church pastors of the day. (laughs) They were the religious experts. They were the ones everyone was meant to be following and listening to. These, These Pharisees or teachers of the law in the first century, the Jewish ones, Jesus is, is, is adamantly opposed to them in most of his ministry. He attacks them deliberately through most of his ministry and here he is again, he's calling them hypocrites. And he says, whatever you do, don't pray like them. How do they do it? Well, they love to stand and they love to pray standing in synagogues what's going on in coughs, and they love to pray standing on the street corner. So the concept is they just love it to be public and they love it to be proud and showy. They love people to see them praying and listen to them praying and think they're wonderful for the prayers that they pray. 
They want to be seen by others. Now, that, that's almost a little bit strange to us to consider someone standing on the street corner and praying out loud to anyone comes past and that most people would think that that's an awesome thing. <laughs> you know, you try that these days in our kind of culture. You go, go on, go and stand in the main street, get up on your soapbox with a microphone and say some big prayers out loud and see if you get respect for that. Probably what you're going to get in our culture is ridicule and probably some fruit thrown at your head, all right? That's what you'll typically get in our culture. But in the first century, um, that's what they did, and everyone thought they were wonderful. Everyone thought they got a lot of respect for saying their prayers in that way. And these would be the ones who would want to be the ones who stand up in their public gathering as well, in their church, in the synagogue, and pray like that. Now, just on this, is this Jesus saying you should never pray in public? It's not that, because we do get specific commands to pray in church. We need prayer. We need public prayer every week here in church. You, you need public prayer in your home group each week when you gather. So it's not never pray in public. The problem here is that there's characters who only want to pray in public and there's nothing going on privately. Their private prayer life appears to be almost non-existent, but their public prayer life is what they're getting all the respect for. And Jesus is saying to them here, well, when they pray like that, they've received their reward in full. Meaning, as people have watched them and think that they're wonderful, there's there your reward. You know, they're doing it for other people's eyes on them. And as other people watch and listen and respect them for it, that's it. And there's no more for them. Meaning, they won't be rewarded by God for that kind of prayer. It's not actually really honouring to God and there won't be reward in heaven for that kind of prayer. And so Jesus is kind of writing them off saying, there you go. People think you're great, that's good. But um, God doesn't. So it's a real issue. It's a real issue. Make sure, if you're someone who is okay about praying in public, and we need people who are okay about praying in public, Most, not too many people feel real confident at it, but we need to be able to do it. If you're okay about praying in public, make sure you also have a thriving private prayer life. Yep, just make sure about that. And, and make sure by digging into what Jesus says here, look at verse 6. Here's Jesus encouraging your private prayer life. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All right, so there it is. There's Jesus' instruction. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Now, some of you might literally want to do that. Maybe there's a room where you can find in your house or a room somewhere where you can go in and close the door and put a do not disturb sign on the outside. Maybe you can do that. But it's not really about the room, is it, or about the door. It's the concepts of privacy or secrecy, secrecy, in a sense. Get some privacy, get some time alone with God. Now again, if you're an introvert, or if you've got young kids, you're probably always hunting for time alone anywhere. But, but this is not just alone time, this is time alone with God in prayer with your Father. Yeah? Shut the door. I think it's just kind of saying, well, be active about actually getting some privacy. You might want to sneak off somewhere, somewhere where you can't easily be found, somewhere where you're, geez, we've got some stuff going on this afternoon, haven't we? 
somewhere where you're less interruptible. You know, you can sit in the middle of your lounge room if you've got a busy household and try and have some time with the Lord. You're going to get jumped on. You're going to get spoken at. There's going to be lots of requests. So try to find a place where there's least interruptions. Now, you can't control the world. can't control what's going on today. Um, And it's funny, whenever you do actually try to have some quiet time alone, you will laugh because things will happen. You know, your neighbours will get on the chainsaw, you know, your own family will spiral, there'll be all kinds of, your own brain will just start to spin. Your brain will spin with things that you haven't done or things that you're worried about and things, that's what happens the minute we have alone, which is usually why we try to avoid alone time because it's actually quite confronting. The first thing you encounter when you attempt to have an encounter with God is actually yourself. And to encounter yourself can be quite an alarming thing, an unnerving thing. And so we need to develop ways to actually be alone, deal with what's coming up in your mind and heart, and press on to have time with God. And there's lots of different ways that the Christian brothers and sisters who have gone before us have developed. Some people will journal. I, I, I kind of tend to, the minute I sit there time, just things pop in my mind. And I'm jotting down so that I can get back to kind of thinking about the Lord again. Continually jotting. There's lots of different ways you can do that. But I would encourage you to leave your phone behind, or if you want to read the Bible on your phone, turn off notifications, whatever it is, remove distractions and plan and prepare for it. Unless you're a raving introvert, you'll keep finding times. Plan when you're going to try and have time with God. And I'd say calendarize it. You might think that doesn't sound very genuine. That doesn't sound very authentic to schedule in. I feel like we've heard enough sirens that I feel like just praying for a moment. Is that all right? I might just say a prayer about whatever's going on with that. We always, yeah. Father God, I just want to lift up to you whatever the circumstance or situation is that's um, causing the fireys or the ambulance or police to head there. Lord, would you protect whoever it is that's in trouble, possibly? Would you help um, there to be help that gets there in time? And would you give wisdom and guidance to those first responders who arrive on the scene? Please have your hand of protection there, Lord. Amen. Read your Bible and pray when you're alone. Keep trying to bring your focus back to the Lord when your mind wanders. I I feel like when um, time alone with the Lord is almost like trying to fan the flame a little bit. You know, as the Lord comes to live in us, it's like a flame. (laughs) It's something burning there. And you know, with any kind of flame, it can die out. It can wither away. What you need on a flame is fuel, oxygen, time. Yep. Hmm. Yep. Um, You know the difference between an open fire and a a combustion fire, a closed fire? Back to me. Sorry, guys. One of the, oh, sorry, I didn't mean the doors. It's okay, don't worry about it. Sorry, I'm a bit distracted myself right now. That's not what I mean, sorry. Don't worry. <laughs> if you've got an open fire in your house, you'll notice that um, you throw fuel on it and the flame will just burn, burn really large and big and it looks wonderful. But not as much heat seems to fill the space. Um, but if you've got a combustion fire where you can shut the door it cranks the heat 
and it doesn't necessarily look as spectacular, but it ends up heating the whole space better. And, and that's just a little illustration. I just want to say, partly spending time with the Lord where you get to close the door, crank up the heat, um, it's actually going to fuel your Christian life and fuel the heat that you're allowed to or able to pass on to others. So shut that door, build this into your routine. Now, some of you are sitting there thinking, I just find it... Sorry, this is my problem. I'm sorry, Evie, I'm actually going to leave the doors open. We need air. It's okay. Sorry. Can we open them back up? I reckon air is really important. You guys are getting a little um, workshop into the way my brain goes today. I'm just like... I'm... You can see I'm the issue here, can't you? <laughs> yeah. I don't want to heat up this space. Um... Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> the question is whether I'm with me. You know, I, I think my brain's going places and um, forgive me, guys. I appreciate it. Um, Jesus calls us here to a practice that he himself does. That's worth noticing. Jesus doesn't tell us, oh, look, go into your room, shut the door, have time with your father. He doesn't tell us to do that without himself having that as his own regular practice of having time with God. So Mark chapter 1, verse 35, um, I'll put the passage up on the screen. Um, this is off the back of a really late night where Jesus has been working hard. Sometimes if you're exhausted, you've been working really hard. Sometimes you say, I'm not going to get up early in the morning. I, I'm too tired, but check it out. I mean, Jesus has been up all night, most of the night. A lot of people coming to him for help. He's been ministering, serving, working really hard. He's probably only had a few hours sleep, and then he does this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And this is Jesus' practice. He himself has made a habit of getting up and going to a solitary place where he prays to his own father. Um, he would regularly disengage with people in order to engage with his father. Yep. Probably Jesus had a similar pattern to most Jews in the first century. It's like stop and pray three times a day or maybe five times a day. And just so you know, it wasn't easy for Jesus to do this. He sacrificed hard to do this. He wouldn't have had a lot of sleep. It would have been very difficult for him to sit in this pattern. So if you're thinking, I just find it a bit hard. Yep, so did Jesus. Secondly, um, Jesus got criticised for what he did. Because whenever he came back or whenever they found where he'd gone off to, they usually said, what are you doing? Or something along those lines. There's people back here that need help. Why are you off on the mountainside again? And he often got criticised for going off and having time on his own with the Lord. And it may be as you attempt these kind of practices, you get some criticism, you get some flack from people that don't understand what you're doing. It was hard for Jesus and he got criticised for it. So don't let that stop you. Yep. It was his pattern, and he calls us into his pattern. The, the other thing I want to say is this. If you look at Jesus' pattern and you go, yeah, but that's Jesus. Go on, some of you are doing that. He's the son of God, you know. He's, um, of course he wants to spend time with his heavenly father. He spent all eternity past with his heavenly father, and he's more godly than me. You know, he's, he's the son. He's God the Son. If that's what you're saying, look, it's good enough for Jesus, but little old me, then I want to ask you this question. Um, do you know who you are? Yeah? 
Do you know who you are? Because if you're someone who has repented of your sins and put your trust in Jesus, then you are now joined to Jesus in a comprehensive way, like by the Spirit. You've now been united to Jesus in such a way that what is said of you now is that you are in Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. So if you are in Christ Jesus, do you know who you are? You join him in his, as a legitimate son of the Father. So if you look at Jesus and go, oh, he's the son of God, do you know what's happened for you? You too now are a son, a child. You too can call the creator and maker of the universe your father. You too now have the incredible privilege of access to him. This is who you are. This is what you get. Don't, don't skimp on this privilege that you have before you. You can draw near to the throne of grace. And you can draw near to your father who, just so you know, Jesus acknowledges, is unseen. So some of you say, like, I'm, I can spend time with people I can see, but uh, I find it difficult to hang out with someone I can't see. Just, just so you know, Jesus is acknowledging that one too. Can you, can you see what he says there in verse 6? Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Oh, no, no. Verse 6. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. So if that's your struggle, just know Jesus knows that's your struggle. There's an acknowledgement here. And it's so much easier for us, just notice, it's so much easier for us to pursue the seen, in, in, the visible with our eyes. It's so much easier to spend your whole life trying to get the acceptance of your earthly father because you can see him. Whether he's been a great father or not, you can spend all your time just wanting more time with him. Yep. All the while... Your unseen but very real heavenly Father is there, waiting, wanting, inviting you to come and be with him. He's unseen, but that does not mean there is no evidence for his existence. The ultimate evidence for others, so much evidence for the existence of God, but the ultimate evidence for the Christian is that you now have his spirit living in you and that spirit that lives in you that's joined you to Jesus helps you cry, Abba, Father, which is some language, yeah? Not Abba is in the band, if you're new to this. It's just, it's an intimate word for Father. And, and so this, do you sense that cry in you to be with your Heavenly Father? It might be faint. You might need to actually work out how to amplify that noise and tune into that cry that's in you, crying to be with your Heavenly Father. Because this is what's on offer, and this is what Jesus calls us to. Go into your room, close the door, pray to your heavenly Father. And look what it says there. When, you're, when you pray, oh, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You might not be able to see him with your eyes, but he sees you and will reward you for drawing near to him. When no one else knows what you're up to, he will reward you. He sees you. And I think that's one of the most encouraging things as a human, to be seen and noticed. 
And typically, we want to be seen by those around us. We want to be known by the people in our community. You know, we want to be loved by them, and, and that's normal and right, but that's just a longing, really, to be seen by the God who made you and known by Him. And in Christ, you are seen and you're known. His eye is on you. He's listening to what you say. Come to him. And he will reward you for drawing near to him in that way. So don't pray like the hypocrites who are most concerned for other people's sight on them and reward from them. Secretly pursue God and be concerned for his eyes on you. And learn to value that more and more. You know, we want to be seen, we want to be known. Oh, wow, the God of the universe sees you. Lean into that. Spend time with the one who sees you. Not like the hypocrites. Not like the pagans. Thanks, Manny, you've putting it up there. Keep them with me. Good stuff. Not like the pagans. Um, Look at verse 7. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. So when you pray, don't pray like the pagans, which which tells you there's a difference between Christian prayer and what Jesus would call pagan prayer. Now, what's a pagan? That's a big discussion. But generally speaking, a pagan is someone who worships another god apart from the God of the Bible. That's how Jesus would refer to it. Another God. And, you know, in the first century, thousands of Greek gods that you can worship and pray to. And thousands of different ways that you're told to pray to them. And there's a reference here. Don't just keep babbling like the pagans. There's a little insight into the way that you could pray to one of the Greek gods to get them to listen to you. You'd babble. And you just try and say many, many words. Try and say as many words as you possibly can for as long as you can because apparently that's going to help some of the gods to hear you. It's like it's going to twist their arm toward you so that they might actually be able to act for you. And Jesus is saying, no, no, don't don't babble on. Don't pray like that. And so I think this would apply, generally speaking, with your prayers... Don't feel like you need to pursue ceremony and ritual. Don't feel like you need to be chanting with your prayers. Don't keep repeating your prayers. Don't think that there's a formula to get God to listen or a technique that you need to use. And there's no shortage of trends among Christians where certain prayers, if you say them in a certain way and you buy this book to learn how to do it, it's actually going to get things to happen in your life. If you've been around for a while, you've seen the trends come through. I think Jesus is just saying, look, look, there is no technique that you need to master to twist God's ear towards you. And it's not even about special words or phrases. It's not like you need to say, and if you don't say it, then God's not going to listen. It's not like you need to say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you don't say it that way, that's the formula or it's not like I pray in the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit you don't have to say it that way there's helpful ways to pray you don't have to use oil to get God to hear your prayer you don't have to say something three times some people will be told go and and say three Hail Marys and then say five Our Fathers and that's your penance it's your way of getting God to forgive you and love you and accept you back I think Jesus would respond to that by saying you don't need to repeat it 
It's not about just saying it a bunch of times to get me on side. You don't need to name the demon. You know, but there'll, there'll be plenty of formulas that get suggested. But Jesus wants you to know you don't need to babble. A lot of that's like babbling like the pagans. I'll give you one example. It's a real kind of modern, trendy thing to do um, with Christians at the moment. It's, it's the concept of manifesting. It's been around for a few years. Um, and there's nothing new about this thing called manifesting, if you haven't heard of that before. Um, maybe you remember the power of positive thinking, yeah? Or um, laws of attraction, or that book, The Secret, and the movie that came out. Every different generation's got the same version of it. Manifesting is this concept where you focus really hard and you send out your thoughts and your words to the universe effectively, focusing on a very particular outcome. And if you do it well enough, that outcome will come for you. Yep. The universe will deliver if you really believe and put it out in a particular way. That's manifesting. That is not Christian prayer. Please don't get confused. Manifesting puts the power with you, effectively says the power is in you, if you can just focus well enough, repeat the thing, the phrase long enough, and believe hard enough, the power is with you, that thing will come for you. The soulmate will come, you know? The dream job will come. The healing and health will come if you can just manifest and stay focused. It effectively says the power is in you to get God to do stuff. Christian prayer, you are dependent on the one who has all the power. Which is kind of scary in a sense to kind of acknowledge your complete dependence on the one who is truly sovereign. But it's only scary until you understand that he's your good loving father. And he's the one to be dependent on. Because he's got you. And he's got your best in mind and he's got your growth. He's got your ultimate goodness in mind. You know? It's okay to be and feel completely dependent on a loving father. And that's typically how kids will end up feeling secure in the home. If they're confident of the love and protection of their parents towards them. And, you know, most good parents will know that, like, um, uh, you know, you, you know the needs of your kids and you know how to provide for them. You know they are to be dependent on you. You've got your, their best in mind and they're just to come to you. They just need to come to you and you got them. You know how to provide for them. And this is where this lands. Verse 8. Or verse 7. When you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans. For they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Look at this. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. If anything's going to take the pressure off some kind of formula, you've got to pray, it's got to be that line. (laughs) He knows what you need before you even ask. In fact, he knows what you need even when you don't even know what you need. And half the time that's exactly the case, isn't it? We think we know what we need. But God's not going to give you that because that's not what you actually need. He knows what you need. In the same way that a kid doesn't always know what they need, but the parents do, you've got a loving father who sees you, knows you. He knows you inside out, back to front. And he just wants you to come to him in humble dependence and take the time to speak to him and to come into his presence and be with him. Jesus is calling you to come and spend time with your Heavenly Father and to make it your regular practice. 
what can you do to push into this kind of rhythm and habit that you could take up the great privilege that it is to have a heavenly father and come to him regularly? He's the one who sees you and knows you and loves you. He knows what you need. He's able to provide. He's able to comfort you like no one else can. So come to him. Approach him privately. Develop that thing that's just you and him. And if it's non-existent at the moment, just start somewhere. Get that going. Draw near to him. Learn to dwell with him. Commune with him. Connect with him. Enjoy him. Delight in the presence of your father. Go after him. Learn to be with him. We do for him and we need to learn how to be with him. I'm going to pray, but just before I pray, I'm wondering whether you might have a prayer. You want to pray quietly in your own heart. I know we're in a public space, but if you just close your eyes, why don't you just take a moment to pray a prayer to God. Um, Just say something to him in your heart, and then I'll pray. Father, we want this. We want to be able to come close. We want to be able to acknowledge your presence. We want to be able to learn to sit with you, delight in you, be comforted by you. Well, Lord, would you help us? Would you draw us? Would you enable us to have to be to be have to be people who are developing our private life so it's in sync and in line with who we want to live in our public life, how we want to love, how we want to honour you in our public life. Lord, we want to honour you in the private. Would you help us? Would you develop this in us? Would you help us to care most about your eyes on us and your reward for us? Please, Lord.